Call the meeting to order. Ms. Troublefield, will you please take the roll? Mr. Cathal? Here. Mr. Collins? Here. Mr. Fritz? Here. Dr. Hattier? Mr. Layfield? Here. Ms. Moses? Mr. Peden? Here. Mrs. Pryor? Here. Dr. Statler? Here. Mrs. Ray? Here. Okay, we have a quorum. 1.03, approval of agenda for November the 16th. Is there a motion to approve the agenda for this evening? So moved. Motion made. Is there a second? Second. second. Motion made and second. Any further discussion? All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed? Passes by unanimous vote. Uh, 2.01, public comments. Mrs. Troublefield, I'm not aware of anyone signed up for public comment. Okay. Hearing none, there'll be a lot of interaction tonight with the public. So we'll move on to new business 3.01, Community Advisory Board updates. Yes, yeah, so uh, we're here this evening in part to hear from our Community Advisory Board members. Uh, we met recently and uh, the request was made to have some interaction and dialogue with the board. So we wanted to include our, our CAB members as part of our meeting here tonight. So first I would like to introduce uh, Special Master Dr. Linda Wren. Dr. Wren, welcome. Thank you for having us. Um, we appreciate being here. And as I said, I, we had snow last night, and I had lost power for two hours. So it was a beautiful, beautiful drive down this evening. So um, thank you, Indian River School Board uh, members. Uh, the Community Advisory Board for the um, Carver Consent Order um, would like to have an ongoing dialogue with the board to um, be sure that you're aware of uh, what the, the information the advisory board is looking at, the data that we've been working with uh, about the school district, and also ensure your support for uh, plans for improvement. We're here in the best interest of students to help you in your responsibility to implement the consent order. We want to see progress in closing the gap um, we always we kind of hear that term a lot, closing the gap. What are we talking about? Improving graduation rates, reducing suspensions, improving student achievement, supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, this evening, to begin the dialogue, um, just about all of our um, advisory board members are here, and they're each going to share with you a point um, that they would they would like to talk about and we would like to get into some discussion But we don't want to get hung up on say the first item and not be able to go through everything uh, The information that they're talking about really references um, Some of the findings and information uh, that we've been looking at um, regarding the school district and just to go over with you you have a packet of information and we uh, discuss a lot the issue of suspensions and um, an over a uh, higher number of suspensions for African-American students than, than Caucasian students looking at the overall enrollment in the school district so um, and the goldenrod packet you can see an excerpt from the report that uh, I do for the court so every six months I do a report to the court, and what I tried to do here was just give you a basic 
summary of some of the things that we've noticed in the data, uh, the trends of the data in terms of the enrollment in the district um, and the you know, kind of uh, growth in the minority population in the district. Uh, generally, minority students make up the majority of the population in the school district now. And uh, if you, uh, you'll have time to read through this later, but there's just an example of the issue with suspensions and uh, a higher, higher rate of suspensions of African-American students. So that's what you can find on the goldenrod page. Um, the blue page just has some just general information, again, from the uh, data that we've been looking at to just kind of give the picture of what we've been looking at and um, the advisory board wants to make sure that you've, you've been aware of that as well. Um, the, the next page, the bar graph, uh, is the information the district's put together for us on graduation rates from your two high schools and then also having those compared uh, with the graduation rates in the state of Delaware. And uh, that's, that's the, um, as you can see, the, uh, the blue, green, and, and yellow bar graph. And if you look at the next page, then you can see the breakout of that by the racial and ethnic groups. And uh, what we're seeing there is lower rates of graduation for some of the ra racial and ethnic minorities. So again, that's something that the advisory board um, has picked up on and gets into this whole discussion about closing the gap. And then the last, uh, the last report is the first quarter uh, report. The, the district provides um, to me uh, this year uh, a monthly report of what's been happening with suspension and expulsions in the district and a breakout there um, by race and ethnicity. So um, again, we're looking at these general concerns on closing the gap. And each of the advisory board members is going to come up and introduce themselves and uh, put forward one an issue that's on their mind. And then we're hope, hoping that we can have a dialogue, not only tonight, but um, as we uh, move through the year, uh, to have some kind of a regular dialogue and uh, you know, asking that you're aware of these things and showing your support for a lot of the activities that we've seen uh, that uh, the district has been starting uh, in terms of supporting these closing the gap issues. So I'm next going to introduce Charlotte King, who is a member of our advisory board. And I believe you all have in your packet a list of our advisory board members, and um, that just kind of gives you a little bit of background on, on who they are. Good evening, and thank you for letting me attend your meeting. Uh, my name is Charlotte King, and I'm a member of the advisory board, and I'm also the founder and chair of the Southern Delaware Alliance for Racial Justice. And, and that will become significant in a minute when I talk about uh, one of my concerns. But I want to start out by saying I appreciate the opportunity to meet with all of you, because uh, boards represent the leadership of any district. Uh, I work fairly closely with the Cape Henle Open School Board and the Milford School Board and other school boards around 
issues sort of similar to the ones that um, you have experienced here. So this being on the advisory board, it's nice to finally meet you and to have you meet us. Um, I'm, I'm hoping and I assume that all of you are familiar with the consent decree um, and that uh, we can have that open discussion on it. Um, I have two recommendations I want to make, or actually I have one recommendation uh, that I want to um, make. Uh, I'd like you to acknowledge and endorse the work of the Community Advisory Board and the consent order at your IRSD board meetings. Um, I did listen in on your last board meeting. I don't know if I zoomed in or listened in at the board meeting. And um, I was surprised that there was no opportunity to bring up the fact that there's a consent decree, uh, which was directly related to some of the issues that were being discussed. And I thought, well, either uh, that's just my impression or they don't see the connection uh, with the consent decree and some of the issues within the consent decree. So I think that in, in terms of the community at large um, and for the sake of all board members, it would be nice if, um, and appropriate, if you would um, make sure that the consent decree and the issues and the progress that obviously is being made in certain areas is discussed with the public and amongst yourself. Um, my, my second recommendation, which I have some concern about, is making sure that the consent order uh, is discussed with teachers and staff. Uh, I said before that I was the chair of the Southern Delaware Alliance for Racial Justice. As such, as people move into the county, whatever part of the county, they're looking for a group that has the ongoing conversations that they experience from wherever they came on uh, racial justice, social justice. And uh, several teachers from this Indian River School District have joined us. And I, since I was on the advisory board, I took the opportunity to say, how is it? You know, where are you teaching, et cetera? Uh, what do you think about the consent decree? None of them knew there was a consent decree. I understand at least you took in at least 100 new teachers. That may not be an accurate number, but uh, close to it. Uh, you had an intensive training. Um, because I got so curious, I asked to see the training manuals, and they were very good. Uh, certainly very complete in terms of what you would offer new faculty. But there was nothing in those manuals about the consent decree. And what an opportunity is lost uh, to take 100 new people to say, these were the old concerns. We want to make sure that you understand that these old concerns are things of the past. Uh, and these are our expectations. This is the expectation of the district. This is the expectation of the board. Uh, and so I suggest that at some point between now and the end of the school year, you go back to those 100 people. I've gone back to the three or four that I've met uh, and have gone over the consent decree and gone, but that really wasn't my responsibility to do so. But uh, being a loudmouth citizen from New York City, I took it upon myself to do that. Um, but anyway, I would just make that recommendation that as new people come in, isn't that the proper time um, before old habits, old bad habits are established um, to talk about what your goals are, what your commitment is, um, 
so that they are clear that this is a school district that's committed to reform and change, as school districts are all over the country, and are committed to, um, especially in the areas of equity, diversity, inclusion, equality, um, and racial justice and social justice, that that is what you represent. Because if they don't hear it, then they assume it's not what you represent. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Any questions? representing the NAACP and the community, and I'm also a retiree of the Indian River School District. My uh, one point is I believe, uh, we believe that district administrators and staff should model the language and the direction of the board. And we would like for you to state your position on diversity, equity, and inclusion and also your position on racial slurs and discrimination. We sent a letter to the board on October 18th concerning this, and we have not received a response as of yet. So we would like uh, to have a written report of this, and we appreciate it. Thank you. I, can I comment on that? I'd love to. I mean, I, I know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But we, we as a board do, I mean, we have our policies that are discussed and brought up when issues are brought up to the board or brought up, whether it's from the community or from staff members. But we, the policies, we have a policy that um, with board ethics and non-discrimination and, of course, our, our bullying policies. And those are policies are brought up before the board um, policy committees and approved and then pushed out to the staff um, and then we as a board have our own board ethics that we have to follow and the state board ethics that we have to follow um, those policies are obviously pushed out to all the, the staff members um, I, I don't know if it's appropriate for us to individually bring out our staff but our policies okay questions before I start. <laughs> my name is Gloria Duffy. Um, I probably respond a little different from, from others because I'm in a situation where I grew up here, moved away, educated here, went to University of Delaware, so I have a lot of ex background. I worked in Philadelphia, so I've kind of like, I know it's like grew up in Sussex County. Um, and the history helps me to understand why we need to make change. For example, in the 1930s, you know, blacks at that time could not say anything uh, against their boss or any Caucasian uh, person because of uh, repercussions. We know that. In the 50s, that's when it started with the um, War of Integration. 
it was still a traumatic period where a lot of violence back and forth on both sides, but people of color were fighting for the same rights. So people were being more educated, so they're not as fearful in speaking their mind because people who lived in Sussex County moved away. That's why we can't get a lot of our young people to come back because they know what it's like growing up. And it's not with everybody, but it's the culture that has, uh, has um, affected them. Of course, the 70s, uh, that was a time where I graduated with the school, went to a predominantly white college, so I had to learn to survive as a minority. And at the same time, they were in a period where they were looking at um, lawsuits because of um, being sued for not having minorities. So I kind of was a um, uh, experiment, I call it, with the other groups. So I had to learn to live in two different worlds. I had the privilege of having a good background from my family. Whenever I got upset, I cried, called on the phone at the time, and said they predicted I was going to flunk out. I was smart enough. I graduated. But as a black person who has lived in two different worlds, I know I have to behave at that time to succeed in a world that was predominantly white. And so I had to follow the rules of that environment to get an education. So kids, adults who in the past was not having that experience of living in two worlds, they, like for example, if you were Caucasian, you didn't have to worry about learning both ways. You had an expectation at the time that this is the way it is. I felt at the time that minorities weren't looked at as being as important. I knew that because my parents told me things to protect myself so I don't get hurt. You know, like, just like, for example, when we tell our kids, young kids nowadays, uh, when you get stopped, no matter what part of the country, you know, don't reach for the glove compartment, they have your license and stuff because in the past in some areas, people who know me know me and my family. So I say this to kind of give you a little bit of history. Now I say this also because you have to be comfortable, as the board has to be comfortable talking about um, diversity and, and all these issues. If you're not comfortable, you cannot help uh, write um, protocols, et cetera, for the school. So ask yourself a couple questions. Do I feel, evaluate yourself. I lost mine. Um, look at yourself as an individual. What is your perception of people, honestly? Do you think that you're better? Do you think we're equal? Do you think we have similar ideas? Are you comfortable having a debate with someone who is different from you and not take it personally? And if you can do that, then you are a higher level because when I work with people, there are some people that get uncomfortable when we talk about things, and others, they say, well, oh, you tell me more. And I learn about their cult, or when I say I learn about their past, it's like, and they learn about the things I went through. As a school nurse, I even had a girl that said, I'm a redneck. And I said, what's a redneck? I don't know, but I'm a redneck. And I thought it was kind of funny, because, but she felt comfortable talking to me, and I did not, uh, give any negative feels, because I really didn't know. But the point is, you have to feel comfortable having a dialogue. If you're not comfortable, then that's part of the problem. You can't make any changes unless you're comfortable with yourself. Um, and sometimes, I call it in Sussex County, you learn from your parents and grandparents. 
because you know we're on the Mason-Dixon line. We know about slavery. We know that Delaware was probably one of the last ones to integrate. And even as a child growing up, I know that when you sit around Thanksgiving, the Christmas dinner, there are different conversations. So as the board, maybe you need, not saying need, look at how the conversation is set to stop the negative uh, comments and to be more open-minded about. I love diversity. I love history. I read a lot. I, I love going places and talking about people and learning about their culture and food. But I'm comfortable with myself. If the board is not comfortable, then it's not going to pass on. Don't just pass up because the paper says or the procedure says we're going to talk about equity and whatever. You can write it down and have no meaning behind it. So a lot of the things that's coming from the board, evaluate yourself to see if you're, if you're comfortable with yourself. And if not, that's where it needs to start it, how to have the healing process, I call it. Because our country is going to be more diverse. We're all going to have to learn to understand each other and use, don't use certain words that you were used years ago used to hear. Because, I'm, like I said before, uh, certain words that my father, I used to hear my father uh, would hear, it was hurtful. And I knew as a child, when you sit around Thanksgiving, Christmas dinner, you hear of them talking about how they were, uh, things were said. So that perception goes along into schools. And sometimes it's, it's not uh, the outwardly, uh, it's, it's the subtle things that maybe teachers need to, to talk about. Don't say you're going to not say this, 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 and this. Let them look at the rationale, as they say in nursing. What is it that uh, you are comfortable, comfortable with or uncomfortable with so we can address the problem, not say you can't say this or that or do that. So that's how I, I, I think. I ramble on because I, I have a lot of information. I'm trying to be concise and quick, but I just want to say Sussex County was a small county, and I grew up in it, and people knew each other. Baseball games, um, Little League, we all knew each other, and that was fine. But if you were not in that group or that clique, I call it, sometimes people, if they feel on the outside neglected, then they're going to be that problem in school because the teacher may not know that kid, or they may not have that support at home, and therefore he or she going to be categorized as a problem because you don't really connect or understand. So I'm just saying, as a board, come with a, a, a statement that you support this and really think about it internally and come up with uh, policies to help with that. Thank you. Ms. Duffy, before you, before you have a seat, <clears throat> reading through kind of your question, I know you tied into the statement. I just, does the community advisory board have a recommendation on potential training we talked about? that the board was interested in training, and I think it would be valuable for us to attend training that the advisory board recommends. I would say I would use the expertise of the people on this, but at, but at the same time, the board, if you assess yourself individually, what you need, then you're going to have the same questions that the teachers have. To say, if I'm uncomfortable doing this, or, um, you know, sometimes changing habits from what our parents used to say. You know how sometimes you have conversations in your house that you don't say out in public? We all know that. So 
I would leave it up to the experts in that, but the training has got to be not just saying, don't do this, this, and this. It's more of some kind of training to really look at yourself and say, what is it that helped change my mindset? Uh, I'm a person, maybe because I'm a nurse, I'm comfortable talking to anybody, you know? And it doesn't matter where you're from, whatever, I'm just, I'm just that way, you know? Um, so I would say, you do need training. Um, I'm gonna train, you need, uh, I'm gonna let, let the experts talk about it, but you need something to rethink about how to implement this. I don't know what it's done in the past, but has it worked? If it's, if it's not worked, then you need to relook at other ideas. This meets again yes, December 1st. Um, we'll get you a recommendation. Like that's, I was curious, do you have a DEI coordinator for your school? I know it's supposed to be high school students. And that is a person who would really look into finding appropriate training in diversity, equity, and inclusion. So you might even talk to your colleagues, get them open as regular training. They also have a DEI uh, person within the district office. Yes, Mrs. Reed. Good evening. Good evening. Is that a yes or a no, by the way? Yes, Nika serves that purpose. I'm sorry. <laughs> your, your, your answer is right here. <laughs> so um, one of the things that we have been doing throughout the, the district is that we have been meeting uh, uh, regularly with our um, equity steering committee and uh, we have come together to talk about just this matter of bringing some recommendations of programs that we would like to uh, present to the board to consider one of them is um, microaggressions training with mrs gwendolyn miller which uh, we have begun some of that through our equity steering committee and then in hopes to be able to also bring that out to our individual schools throughout the district um, we did do part one of training, uh, part one of the microaggressions training on October the 13th. Um, we had 29 participants at that meeting. Um, it was powerful, and so that was one of our recommendations um, to be able to bring to the board. In addition to some of the others, I believe um, at our special board meeting we had, we had a young lady in the community that mentioned something that they had done at their district, and that was through the Anti-Defamation League. Um, so we would like to be able to put that list together and to be able to present that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think too, um, we've loved working with Nika in this administrative role that she's been in. So, um, and she does sit in on, we have these advisory board meetings quarterly. So the advisory board will get back to you with some follow-up and recommendations. And I think that was one Kind of the essence of this was to know what they're doing and they are doing fine work and to bring that you know have you all participate in in that training i mean i've been in such training um, so that everybody is looking at it the same way and, and understanding um, the issues so they've been doing fine work the goal here tonight is to have you all be aware of that and then kind of echo your support for um, what's been coming forward in that training, if that makes sense. Thank you. Dr. Wren, you, you mentioned your next meeting is December 1st. Can individual board members attend as just observe? Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, that would be great. We 
do them on Zoom. Okay. So, it's a Zoom meeting, but we get good attendance that way. That would be great. Yeah, okay. I've heard your name mentioned. It's interested. So any, any, okay. anyone um, we work with to set that up with Karen Blanard and Dr. Owens and, and all of that. So we you do a me. 4 to 6 p.m. meeting. So that's yeah, that'd be great. Good evening, everyone. My name is Karen Ball. I'm a retired educator. Uh, retired, uh, uh, former um, Indian River School District employee, proud parent of three Sussex Central uh, graduates. Uh, this evening, I just would like you to know um, that we applaud the work of this Equity Steering Committee and the consultant who was also hired to coordinate the development of the survey. I understand that this is difficult work and what they have done has, has, they put a lot of time and effort and energy into this and this is not, an, it wasn't an easy task. My wonder this evening is simply how will you, the members of this Board of Education, support the ongoing efforts and recommendations of your uh, equity steering committee and consultant as they strive to do the work that is in the best interest of all the students in the Indian River School District. Just wondering. Thank you. I guess maybe just a quick comment. I, I know at our board meetings, so Dr. Brittingham I know gives an update, but I don't know that we have any discussion really related to that. Um, so, but I guess that could be that could be an ongoing part where maybe we have some discussion where possible with those updates. Good evening. I'm Molly Carter. I know most of you, all of you. Um, so what I'm talking about tonight is making sure that the board is informed on Indian River School District data concerning closing the gap. And that has to do with student performance and test scores and graduation rates, and also reducing suspensions of minority students. Um, this dates back to last May. So you all received an email from me last May that was already predicting what the scores were gonna be in August. I didn't get any replies from my email, with the exception of Mr. Fritz, who said, hey guys, this is a study out of Harvard. We need to pay attention to this. This is coming our way. So my frustration comes out of, I know the board meetings isn't a time to communicate, but I send emails about a lot of these topics, and they go unanswered. Um, the two for my district never reply, ever. And this is really important stuff, really important stuff. I spoke about it at every single board meeting last year because I knew that the issues that were coming down the pike were gonna come down the pike. And there needs to be plans in place for interventions and after school programs, but that's not gonna be enough. And I've shared ideas in terms of what needs to be done and I'm not hearing anybody take me up on my offers to help with that. So there's a lot of research out there about what needs to be done. There's no one 
you know, golden ticket to fix the three to four years of lost education. It's going to take lots and lots and lots of interventions. So I ask you right now, how does the school district this year look different than it has any other year? It doesn't, because that's really hard work to do. And you have a lot of compound problems that are going along with that, because you're going to need some sort of programming, whether that's after school. For elementary schools, it could be before school. You've got YMCA coming in right now. That could be prime time to work with some of your students. That's not going to be enough. You're going to need to do things like co-requisite classes. Google it. There is tons of research on it. Co-requisites. You can't expect teachers to teach what students don't have at the same time they're teaching grade level standards. You hear all the time they say, we don't have enough time. They don't have enough time. You know, if I use my son as an example, he's seventh grade. He's in algebra. He never learned long division. I'm a math teacher by trade. At some point, he's going to do polynomial long division with x's and y's. He never learned long division. So at some point, you've got to figure out when that skill's going to be taught. And you can't teach it at the same time because those teachers have a seventh grade standards that they need to teach. So co-requisite classes is one way. You would need to redo your master schedule to provide opportunities for students to basically double up. They could take a support class, so they could still be in their grade level class getting the instruction that they're supposed to be getting. And you could target those that had the lowest test scores or that you know are struggling the most. So there's ways to do it during the day. You're going to need to change your master schedules. And all of this I saw was presented in September at the board meeting, but to me, they were just ideas. Ideas isn't going to fix the problem. Over the summer, because we knew that this was coming, that's when the hard work needed to happen. And you should have hit the ground running in September with something in place for the students. Because you've lost now another year. You won't get anything in place before September, I can tell you that. Because you now have a culture also at the same time, an undercurrent running in this school district where teachers are really fed up. And you all got my emails about that today. They are not going to do more when they're fed up. So you have to correct that culture because we need them desperately. Because I want them teaching my kids the skills that were missed and not some random person from the outside. You're going to need to pay them well. Per diem doesn't cut it. They've had a really rough three years. You're sitting on $25 million in her funds. 25 million. You could double the per diem of those teachers and give them a cash bonus if they finish whatever intervention program you offer and still have leftover, like a lot. That's what should have been placed in September. You could have done six weeks of ELA, six weeks of math, double per diem, and if you do all 12 weeks, guess where that puts us? Right at December and teachers will give you a $2,000 bonus if you stick with us all 12 weeks. Those are the kinds of ideas that I've been trying to share with you all, but I don't get any replies. 
So our students, especially our students with low income who did not have the technology access during this time, and other subgroups suffered the most. And we knew that was gonna happen. It has just widened the gap. And that research article from Harvard said that back in May. This is no surprise. So we need these programs in place. You will see students start to catch up. They're resilient, but you need them because you need your graduation rates to come up too. So thank you. <clears throat> Mrs. Carter, in regards to your question, I want to kind of pose that to Dr. Owens. She feels that there's no change in our curriculum or what we're doing this fall trying to get caught up from COVID, and that's your perception. I would like for you to talk about what we are doing in this district that is different than years past to try to get back up to speed with COVID, because I, I think the perception very well is accurate. It's our perception. But what, what can we say that we are doing differently than we've done in years past or we've enhanced to be able to kind of put out there what we're doing? So you hit on, you know, the summer school, some of those things, and we, we've had some discussions about our exploration of after school and some of the roadblocks that we've encountered there. One of the things where I think we've made progress is the interventionists at each school. So each school has an interventionist on staff that pr provides either push-in, pull-out services to try to help students that we have uh, acknowledged that are below where they need to be. And so that those resources in each school are extremely helpful and have, have proven to be beneficial. When we talk to our instructional folks and when we do our visits, that's, that, that is helpful. In terms of the programmatic changes, the master schedule, our schools have intervention periods where students that have lost less are able to get some enrichment support. Students that are remain behind or you know we've identified as needing that extra support, we can provide some intervention services. So those are two things that we have embarked on. Some of the things out of the box thinking I, we will look at that and I appreciate you bringing that back to our attention. Um, but those are just two things that I, I can acknowledge that I think have been helpful for our district with providing support for students. How do you identify the students that need the interventions? There's screenings that go on at the beginning of the year and also our data from last year that, that have helped us to identify. Karen, you can jump in if you'd mm -hmm. like. Um, sorry, I don't have our instructional folks here with us tonight that can speak a little better uh, to it than I can, but um, certainly our classroom teachers help to identify that as well. I, I can speak from personal experience. Um, I have a special ed student. You know, I've, I've got both extremes, right? I got the kid that's made for school and I've got the one who struggles. She was a one on your state tests. She struggles. Um, amazing teachers last year, amazing. There's documents that I have asked every single year for extra supports for her, that something is wrong. And until these teachers got to her, they finally said, oh yeah. Something's wrong. And you've put it on every single paper since pre-K. We need more, we need to look into this more, but she was never offered reading intervention or math intervention from the specialists in those buildings. So my question is, you need to look at who's getting the interventions because there's a special ed student who was a one and the year before I pulled her from the state test because that is your right as a parent to not test. And she was never given those. She just kind of, a lot of kids just slip through the cracks. So that would be my question back to you. You need to pull the data and figure out who's getting those interventions and look at it by demographics also. Because yeah, I think that will be eye-opening. 
If I could just add to, at the elementary level, we do use the Dibbles assessment, which is a fabulous screener for on grade level reading skills. So at each level, there's a beginning of the year assessment that every student takes that provides data for the teachers so that through small group instruction, they can teach targeted skills. And then the, the test levels increase every year, so comprehension is built in as students progress from the early learning years into third, fourth, and fifth grade. So if you haven't had that data shared with you, we will certainly do that. No, I get Dibble's data every, every year, and I actually had a, a parent talk to me about this just recently, um, a, a parent whose kids are, are really good. And he's like, what is this stuff they sent home? There's no explanation that goes along with it, and I'm a smart guy. So how many of your parents know how to read those Dibble scores that come home? When I got them this year, I saw that she was on a second grade level as a fifth grade student, so we went to the library and picked out some second grade books so she could feel successful. But she lost last year. So she started at a certain grade level and ended the year lower. And on, they were like, on Dibbles? Yes. Okay. So, so that's when they were like, something is wrong. I'm just speaking, and I'm a loud parent. I know this but I get things done for my kids. The majority of your parents are not loud parents. The majority of the parents that we're here to advocate for tonight don't know how to be the loud parent for their kid. My, my kids are gonna be fine because I will continue to email you every two weeks with no replies and that's fine. But there are subgroups in this district that don't feel comfortable doing that. And those are the ones I'm worried about. I'm not here worried about my kids tonight. I'm just using them as an example. I'm a loud parent and my kids struggled. You got a lot of students that are slipping through the cracks that you should be worried about. So Molly, do you know the reason why the parents won't speak out? I'm gonna be blunt. You'll be what? Blunt. That's fine. I speak out and I get no replies. I understand, but you, well, there's, there's a difference. You are vocal and you, you are here, and so you can advocate for them. But if they, you know, they always say they're strength in numbers, I would just be curious as to reason why they, they won't come forward or don't come forward. And I think there's a culture in the district that they don't feel comfortable coming forward. I think there's a culture in the district that teachers don't feel comfortable coming forward. Case in point, you had a teacher speak out at your last board meeting, and he was pulled from his classroom by district office and reprimanded. There is a culture to stay quiet, unfortunately. And that has to change. And until that changes, kind of like what the other ladies were talking about, and I just wanna say, this group, they're awesome. You need to talk to them more. Um, but until people feel comfortable, they're, they're not gonna come and talk to you. but that, that there's an underlying culture. The teachers know it's there, and the community knows it's there, of you're not supposed to speak. And if you do, district, someone from the district will be knocking on your classroom door and telling you, you better keep it down. And that's not a, that's not a good place to be. So I think that's why people just kind of stay quiet. But I'm here to offer any support, so I'll put that offer out there again. Um, if you want to talk about closing the gap, I do have a lot of expertise in that. That's what my background is in. 
I would be happy to help, but I need, I need that invitation to do that. And I think there's other, other community members that feel the same. So, thank you. I would like to respond on not commenting to her emails. Um, and I'll be blunt too. She sends many emails. I respect everyone in this room. She lost credibility with me. Many of her emails are bullying the board. She's threatened the board. She's threatened to hurt every child in the school district. And she wonders why we don't respond to her emails. Yeah, you, I've never threatened to hurt any child in the district. I have that email saved that you were threatening to withdraw your children by September 30th school count and you encouraged everyone else to do, which would financially hurt the district. And there were lots of parents every... discussing withdrawing. I, 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 for that, that wasn't you how wonder you just why said it. We don't respond. <laughs> that's not that's not how you just worded it. So be careful in how you word things. And, and be careful how you word your emails because they're very threatening and very bullying and you wonder why we don't respond. Listeners of this recording, please be advised that Mr. Peden retracted portions of the previous statement later in the meeting. This retraction can be heard at approximately the 1 hour, 9 minute, and 42 second mark. So yes, I'll be very honest. You all had a lawsuit from me last year because you didn't provide for the kids who were being quarantined. I'm very open about that. I'm sorry if you feel like that created some sort of place where you couldn't communicate. I communicate with many members of the school board and have very good relationships with them. So I apologize that you feel as though you were being bullied, but I have never threatened to hurt students in this school district. So please be careful about things that you say. You have threatened to withdraw and encouraged people to withdraw right at the student count. Yes, I 100% told people that they had the right to withdraw kids for the September 30th count during COVID. And if you look at your data, you had a lot of students who left the district who were able to, to go to private schools. So that is not like a, a Molly Carter phenomenon. That's what happened. The ones who were able to do it, did it. And I don't see how that's in any way threatening kids. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate the interaction. Understood. Thank you. This is why you're losing teachers, just so you know. Good evening. Good evening. Ivan Neal, proud retired employee from the University School District, and also a proud parent of a soon to graduate a senior at Sussex Central High School. Um, my uh, 
topic has to do with after school activities. Obviously, we've been talking some tonight about our new normal. Um, we have a changing uh, student population and uh, recent events, particularly COVID, have certainly impacted our students <coughs> a lot. Um, we have students who aren't gonna get um, what they need to be totally successful during the regular school day. We all know that. And they're gonna need interventions um, probably that will need to be offered after school. Um, one of the things that the survey uh, showed was that parents felt there was a need for after school interventions and activities. And um, obviously another issue has to do with, you know, we have a large district. A lot of parents now don't have the means to get their children um, to school for those kinds of things. Um, every child is not blessed like Ivan Jr. who has two parents who are able to get them anytime, anywhere he needs to be. Um, so our concern there is do we have a plan in place to, um, to provide uh, after-school activities and transportation for those uh, things, activity buses, uh, things like that? It was already mentioned that perhaps uh, some community partnerships might help. Uh, you know, our school district has always had a uh, very successful, um, we've been, always been very successful with community partnerships. That was one of my former roles when I worked at the district office, uh, working with the community groups. So uh, I would encourage us to continue down that path and, um, and make sure that we're doing everything we can as a school district to uh, provide the students who need those, those extra uh, opportunities, uh, that opportunity uh, by, uh, through after school activities. Um, Dr. Owens already mentioned that their intervention is at each school and so certainly I think we can tap into that and, um, and make sure that the students who need that extra support are getting it. So that, that's my concern. Thank you. So, uh, Neil, in regards to one, one thing that I think is an overwhelming theme was after school programs and yes. transportation. Yes. And I, I, as, a, as a board member, I, I, think that's, I think that's an awesome opportunity to provide transportation. I know with some, the nightly news that's given out, there was transportation provided to like yes. the, the Dairy Queen in Millsboro. I've yes. never been there, my children weren't involved, but I know from the theme of the weekly news, yes. there was transportation provided for students that needed extra. Also transportation for athletics or after school activities, I, th I think is, is vital we should be doing it. But one problem we have, we don't even have enough buses to transport the students that we have, and we've got some kids on bus routes that get the alert now message that their child will be coming home this evening half an hour to 45 minutes later because of the duplicate or triplicate busing route so i think that's something that as a seated board member there's certain things i see that this is something we should be able to get on top of i agree 100 yes. percent but we don't know how to fix our transportation needs within the district as a whole so just to comment where you're going i i, I like the idea i think we should do more of it but one of the com complicating things is we can all agree to something that's wise to the betterment of students, yeah. but logistically, I, I wish we could fix the busing. Um, you know, I, I don't, don't know, but we have a serious busing problem we're constantly working with here. So and just a lot, and, and a lot, a lot of I'll, I'll tap into an overwhelming theme is a lot of us can agree mm -hmm. that different 
issues. And then some of the board has about a 1,000-yard view, maybe not the little idiosyncrasies, an acronym that's given. You know, when I get an acronym, I'm trying to, you know, try, then it's explained what the acronym stands for. So we have a kind of a global understanding, not so much the hands-on of understanding what's going on. So, I, But I, this is something I think we agree with 100%, but I just want to put out there some of the problems. We Mrs. Carter, several of her views and comments, you know, she's, she's direct. I, I understood she's direct. There were several of them I stand beside of her and agree with, but they just don't know the fix for. So I just, I think it's important that we, we interact with the, the community that's here this evening to let you know 100% these ideas are something we want to implement, we agree with. We, I wish we could say, hey, we've got a great transportation program for aftercare, for intervention with uh, students and also uh, busing home for athletic events. But, the busing issue is a huge issue that we can't go without discussing and bringing up. Great idea, but it's just something I don't, I don't know how we fix. Is other board members have input on any of that? I just kind of well, the the busing <clears throat> the busing is is statewide. The busing problem is statewide. It's not Indian River School District. <clears throat> I spoke to uh, Mr. Tidwell, our transportation director, recently uh, over an issue, and he's telling me he's got other school districts even upstate to see if he can send buses up there for runs, for athletic programs and sporting events. So it's, it's all over. And part of the issue is the state of Delaware, which pays the majority of transportation costs, needs to come up with more money to allow these contractors to hire properly enough people. They, uh, we only own, how many buses does the district own? About a half a dozen, a little more than that. We were at 17, maybe. About 20? Okay, which, is a, which we've come a long way in just the last couple of years because we used to have almost none. The, the state has not raised the money on transportation for these contractors in quite a number of years. And the pay that these independent contractors are having to pay out to their employees is just simply not enough to attract enough drivers and they're they're struggling and we have often have drivers busing contractors that drop routes with the school district they no longer want to do the route um, one one issue I know uh, just as an example Millsboro Middle School <clears throat> the girls volleyball team they had several away matches that had to be canceled because we didn't have buses to take them to the away matches. Same thing happened with Georgetown football. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, and I can remember years ago when I used to coach with uh, Mr. Wells back in another lifetime when I taught school. You know, we as coaches would hire, uh, pile up kids in our own personal vehicles and take them home. And that's not a practice that's encouraged in this day and age with lawsuits. I mean, we we would pile them up left and right, and. It's, it's somehow the state reps have got to do, they've got to get on board, and I really feel they're trying to push busing on the individual school districts, which we don't have the money to, to, to pay for the entire. It is an issue. We, we're on the same page. Just well, trying to find we a appreciate that, and again, we, we thank you for this opportunity to dialogue. We certainly look forward to working with you and talking about these issues. Uh, ongoing in the future. It, it's interesting. It's a statewide issue, but I hardly ever hear any state reps talking about it.
Good evening. Yeah. Um, Marjorie Belmont yes. Burns, member and also a um, ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. So I am a pastor with two churches. I'm also um, a graduate of Indian River, a 72 graduate. Um, have family who has graduated. My brother, Robert Belmont, Denise Belmont. Um, I call these two my brother cousins because we grew up together. Wesley and Tony Townsend, Cheryl Townsend, uh, the whole Townsend gang. Um, <laughs> and uh, my oldest son, Rodney uh, Hotshot Belmont, graduated from here. Um, my question, it's not more of a question, it's, uh, I don't know if it's a statement or what, but um, I am supposed to talk about needing more diversity amongst the faculty, the administration, and the staff. Okay, so I went back and looked at the enrollment data that was provided in, um, so the st student population, uh, for Caucasian enrollment is less than half of in your school district, except for one elementary school, okay? Um, the percentage of African-American students uh, within the district has decreased from 12.1% to 10.75%. And in the past three years, the Hispanic population has grown from 33.8% to 37.34% as of now. But, However, according to the Delaware Department of Education, um, when they looked at Indian River's full-time staff, uh, and I just want to bring this up, administration, there are 20 and uh, Caucasians, it's 20, five, two African-American, excuse me, principals within this district, 15 are all Caucasian, assistant principals, 23 are Caucasians, one is uh, Native American, one, two are African American, one is Hispanic. We go into the elementary schools, Caucasian, 365 teachers, Hispanic, 10, Asian Pacific, one, American Indian, two, African American, 16, multiracial, five, secondary, teachers, Caucasian 366, Hispanic 13, Asian Pacific 2, African American 16, multiracial 4. And then I brought this up, um, looked at the guidance counselors, there are 34 in the Indian River School District, 29 are Caucasian, are Caucasian, one is Asian, three are African American, one is multiracial. As I was sitting here, I, I began to think about um, a devotion that I had to do yesterday for 25 of my colleagues. And it was entitled, um, based on George Benson's song, Everything Must Change, Everyone Must Change, Everything Must Change. And since uh, I, I grew up here, graduated, went to college, kept right on roving, um, lived in New York, um, Virginia, um, eastern shore of Maryland on the Kent Island side, um, but was appointed back here in 2015. And when I came back, I was sorely disappointed with the school district because it was as though nothing had changed. As a matter of fact, 
things, things seem to they got worse. And when I looked at the guidance counselor, one thing that, that stuck up in my mind was this. My best friend, and I call her my sister also, Fayetta Blake, who was also a graduate, she tells the story of being in the 12th grade at Inya River, going to the guidance counselor, wanting to know about college. And the guidance counselor told her, because you have two children, the very best thing that you can do is find a job. College is not for you. She walked out of there very distraught. And the teacher that saw her was Miss Allen. And she shared the story with Miss Allen. Miss Allen is the one who helped Faye get in the Upward Bound program at University of Delaware. Now, I don't have to tell you about her accolades today. But the thing is, if they had listened to that white male guidance counselor, she would not be making a positive, positive influence in the lives of over 2,000 kids thus far, over 2,000. If I had listened, if my brother or sister or other family members had listened to our guidance counselor, white, we would have never received our education, our bachelor's, our master's, and in one case, a PhD, and be decided to give back into the communities where we were. I used to say my brothers and sisters, I forget, I'm not in church. <laughs> Listen, in your River School District. If there isn't a change, this district is going to die. And what a shame that would be to all of the students, not just the minorities, but every student. I think about my little great nephew who has a tint of autism, but is Bright is very brilliant. He is, he is a student, elementary. And he's pushed because we push him to excel. And there is one thing that my grandmother taught us is we need get that education because that is something that no one can take away from you. And then pass it on. If the school district does not start to hire outside and break the mode because right now you're almost stagnated and we know what happens with stagnated water. A change must come. It seriously must come. I know we're getting a lot of ideas, a lot of suggestions, blah, 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 blah. But if something, if you don't start making a change, change will not occur. It will not occur. So I hope, I really hope, and I pray 
that everything that we are doing, the community is doing, the community board is doing, equity community, everything that is being um, put forth that this board will begin to embrace, begin to really seriously look at it. And I know you have outside responsibilities and whatnot, but you know what, sometime <laughs> you just gotta make a sacrifice for the good of the children, not just the ones who are here now, but for generations to come. I also, and I end with this, um, we would like, and I'm gonna say, put it in writing, the criteria for taking honors classes and other advanced classes. <coughs> and is how is that communicated to the students? How is that communicated to the parents? You know, when I was attending here, it was a hush-hush thing. Hush, hush. The hush, hush needs to stop. This, this district has brilliant students, brilliant, who are not in an advanced class, who are not in an honors class, and who are never told how they can be a part of it. It must break. It must. Thank you. Before we move on, Dr. Owens, is there anything we can say about what we're doing with our hiring practices to try to? I, I know that we're having difficult times filling teachers as a whole each year. We're not, we're not able to fill the amount of openings that we have. But what what are, what are we doing as yeah, a district? What, what is happening? So you know the traditional recruitment efforts to multiple universities, including our um, historically black colleges. So that does occur. Um, sometimes we're successful, other times we're not. We do have a, a Grow Your Own program that uh, we've produced some, some great teachers from that. Uh, one thing that I get excited about is in our high schools, our, uh, our pathways for future teachers, future educators, and then tracking those students into college and trying to get them to come back to the district that they received their education from. So those are some things that uh, are occurring, but. I'd, I'd welcome some suggestions from the, the board on things that we could do uh, a little differently. I did talk with uh, Nika and some others recently on how to uh, attract some of our minority candidates to come back to the area. Some of the things we talked about is, is to uh, discuss more about uh, the job, the teaching, and more about the elements of our community and, and why this community is great and to try to excite folks to to want to live here and that's that's some 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 things that i hadn't really thought about recently and and i appreciate nika's suggestion there and others but you know how do we attract more that the jobs are out there right? teaching jobs are available there's there's teachers needed everywhere but why do they want to come here why why is indian river the appeal so that's where we need to, to try to, uh, to to do a better job and have a, a greater emphasis of why this area is so great. Okay. And you grow your own um, program. Do you break that down by race? Like how many are African-American, Caucasian, Asian? If you do, I would like to, we would like to see those, okay. those percentages. Mm -hmm. Thank we, you. We've also um, had some programs with our paraprofessionals where they're in that supportive role, but they're interested in teacher certification. So while they're studying, we're supporting them with some course reimbursement while also keeping them employed in the role. So we've had some success 
with paraprofessional to teacher positions as well, so we can collect that data too. Okay. Thank you. And, and just you break that down by race also. Thank you. One last thing that's proven successful is we always uh, accept year-long residencies from our local colleges and universities. So uh, we've we developed good relationships with our, our universities. So anytime that they, they want year-long residencies, we bring them in. Because we found once you're here, you know, we can work with you and you can see the value in working in the district and, and hopefully we can retain you. So that's, that's another area that we've tried to put a lot of emphasis to. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And I would, I am very curious, and I, I believe that we all are, the, the committee is, as to the reason why if, if, if a minority um, person comes to teach, why they decide to leave. What is the reason behind them leaving, um, not staying within five years or ten years? I have a question. Um, just curious, you had mentioned breaking the mold, hiring from the outside. Was that comment trying to get outside community input from more a diverse community? What I'm thinking is we have a majority of minority students. There's a lot of talent here. Can't we find different ways to promote and encourage within? Yes, we can. Okay. But at the same time, we still need minorities to teach. Absolutely. Yes. We need minorities to teach. Yes. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. I'll, I'll say this. I think nationwide, the number of uh, kids going to college to get a teaching degree, those numbers are down. Yes, they are. Across they the, are. It's, it's a troubling thing it for is. all academic it institutions. Is. We need to promote teaching in general yes. for everybody. Thank you. I do want to just come back up one more time because, Mr. Peden, I need you to retract what you said because I did not threaten students and that's defamation of character. So I need you to just go on the record. I'm fine with you saying that I asked students to withdraw for September 30th, but to say that I threatened kids, that's public defamation of character. Okay. And I retract that. I, I do have an email that you encouraged people to withdraw right before the deadline which would financially hurt the district. But I did not threaten I students. retract that. I retract that. Hello. Uh, my name is Barbara Malone. I'm a retired educator from Maryland. I'm also a representative of the local NAACP. Now, my topic actually, and we I think we're down to number 11. My topic relates to um, House Bill 198. House Bill 198 was signed into law in 2020, and it states that all school districts and charter schools must provide instructions on black history. Um, so I, I'm here to ask, is the district moving forward on this? And that we would like uh, an, an update on your district's implementation of House Bill uh, 198. I emailed your superintendent. He did answer my email. <laughs> I think I emailed him maybe about 10 months ago. And he did let me know 
that your school district would be reviewing your curriculum and that uh, you were also waiting on the uh, on instructions from the Department of Education. Okay, now we're in, remember I said I was retired, so I really don't have to know what the month is <laughs> or whatever. Good for you. <laughs> we're in November, and each uh, school district should be at a certain place. Could, it, could somebody just tell us where you are? Maybe you should have a point person and whatever else. So as the chair of the curriculum committee, we've discussed um, House Bill 198 in several of our meetings. I know that yesterday, I believe, was the deadline for the DOE audit, if I'm correct, okay, um, where we submitted our uh, review and findings of the information um, that pertains to those eight elements and what we're teaching in K through 12. So I don't know if Dr. Owens, you want to um, add a little bit about that, but uh, that is continuing to be a conversation in our curriculum uh, committee. So we're, we're pretty lucky. We have a uh, specialist in the area of social studies. So she worked with uh, teachers from every one of our schools to analyze our primarily our social studies curriculum to see what elements of, of HB 198 are covered in our existing uh, areas. And they were able to identify from K-12 that elements, those eight elements are covered at some point in that continuum across K-12. to And so that was part of our audit that we did submit. It's my understanding that now DOE will look at what we've submitted and our curricular elements and then we'll provide additional feedback. But currently right now, based on our own internal uh, look at uh, our curriculum, we're covering, at least in some regard, some multiple in multiple years elements of HB 198. What what's frustrating with the state of Delaware and with politicians is they pass laws and then they take forever to get the information to the organizations that have to implement those laws. And correct me if I'm misspeaking in any way, but it seems like that here we are into November and that law was passed a long time ago mm -hmm. and it took uh, the state and Department of Education a mighty long time to even get to the school districts what they were even asking for in those um, which puts and so we're at this process where you submit you do the audit you submit and and I'm not on the curriculum committee so I may be wrong in things I'm saying but you know we we're moving at the speed the state gives the information to us to then, we're not dragging our feet is what I'm trying to say to you, is the state of Delaware drag, drug their feet in getting us the areas that they wanted to make sure we're covered. Good, thank you. I and think, I think Mrs. Question. Duffy might. Yeah. I have a question then, if that's the case, who in the Department of Education do we need to, to, to contact because, you know, why have a special so long to talk about black history and African-American histories. Well, I mean, I have books yeah. written well, by Delawareans about history. So I've talked to Renee, uh, Dr. Jerns numerous times and, and even in emails with uh, Dr. Statler. And one of the good things is I'm being told that we already implement and teach a lot 
of what they have come to ask. Does it need to be refined? Does it need to be added to? Absolutely. But we're, we, the, good, the good thing is I think that, and, and the things that the state has come down with, they aren't super specific, the things that they're asking to be taught. They're very, some of them are very broad items. So it's like you can, each, each district might be a little different in how they're approaching it. So is there a contact person who can ask more information I'm not, about it? I'm not so sure. I, yeah, I can consult with Dr. Jerns. I know that she is our lead for the school district. Every district has a lead. Um, the DOE meetings, I believe, are bi-monthly. I'm not sure, but um, I know that they're meeting regularly on this topic. Okay, I'll connect with you about that. Thank you. Before I get to my second question, I want to ask Dr. Statler. You said you were the, the curriculum committee yes. or chair. Then my question is, if I wanted to know, if I wanted to see a curriculum for a specific course, where would I go? We can provide that to you. It's not on your website. I don't or anything. believe so. Teachers don't put their curriculum, their course curriculum, on the website. Not that I'm aware no. of. No. But we can provide it to you. Yeah. Is there any particular reason? Because I know a lot of school systems require their teachers to put the specific curriculum on on, on their website. Okay, my second topic is about career paths. Um, the graduation, overall graduation rate for the school district is lower than the state of Delaware for African Americans. It's low, and for Hispanic uh, children, it's even lower. And so, my question is, how are career paths developed for students who monitors them? Um, are, I, I know the kids are involved, but do guidance people meet with them on a regular basis? How, you know, how often the guidance people? I, you know, I don't understand how kids can fail if they're on a career path and somebody is walking with them on this path. So as Nika makes her way up, she'll, she'll speak a lot more intelligently about this than I will, but we do have several career paths that we offer at our high schools, and we also offer uh, career pathways now at our middle schools leading up to the high school. So students get an opportunity to explore different pathways. Uh, and I can tell you that our uh, semesterized schedules at our high schools allow for students to uh, identify two career pathways that they want to explore. And because they're set up the way that they are now, if they those aren't appealing to them, they can then make some adjustments. And I, I hope Nico will, will talk a little bit more about that. But I found as a high school principal that you know, and kids, you know, young kids change their minds all the time. So I'm glad we've got some built-in opportunities for those adjustments to be made. So I'm not sure if I'm directly answering your question, but 
those those pathways there are requirements towards graduation so they need to lock into to, to something uh, prior to that 12th grade year really the 11th grade year but there's opportunities for for change and to continually challenge themselves with a different pathway Nika can you add to that for me Mrs. Smolin, thank you so much for your question in regards to career pathways and um, how school counselors are able to meet with students. Um, so the uh, ASCA recommends that we have one school counselor for every 250 students. Um, unfortunately, some in some of our schools, it might be 400 students to one school counselor. For instance, Sussex Central, it has almost 2,000 students there. So we are working diligently of being able to meet individually. We utilize classroom guidance as a, a, a great way of being able to meet with all of our students. Um, we also do small group lessons to be able to uh, address that matter in regards to how a student picks a pathway. So in the middle school, we will have events like a career fair or a career pathway fair where our pathways will come to the middle school, they'll set up in the cafeteria or the gymnasium to give students an opportunity to um, receive information about the different pathways that are available at Indian River and at Sussex Central. Um, and we don't stop there. You know, there is a course catalog that is provided to students so that along with their parents, they can become more informed about what we have to offer. This, our Indian River School District requirement as far as graduation requirements um, which aligns with what the state of Delaware says is that every student who receives a Indian River School District diploma must have three pathway credits. Those, cre those pathway credits must be received sequentially. So if in ninth grade I pick, um, and I'm going to use engineering because that's the one that's near and dear to my heart, my ninth grade student would go in and he'd do the intro to engineering, and in tenth grade he'd do the second level, and then in eleventh grade he'd do the third level. Um, and so in some instances, we'll have students who are a little confused about that, where they're still trying to figure out what it is that they want to do. And they may come in and make those requests of a school counselor. I really don't like that class, and I want to make, uh, make a change. And so we then have to utilize that opportunity to be able to go back over the, the graduation requirements, what that means. And it may mean that I have to take a step further as a counselor to also engage the family into this conversation so that um, they're not just saying, here, mom, sign my request to make a change without really communicating what that might mean as far as meeting my graduation requirements. Um, one of the things that we are doing as uh, school counselors, we have monthly PLC meetings. So we get together as a group to start t having those conversations about what we might need to do differently, how we can help our administrative teams in our schools um, with master scheduling, um, and what that might mean as Things are changing around the world, and you know we're starting to take notice of data, um, which is very important. So one of the challenges that has been given is for our high school counselors to take note of the number of course requests change forms that they receive after school starts. You know, we, you know, you get all of these forms, and then you realize I've had like 200 requests to make a change to their schedule, and then how do I communicate with my student about what this might mean? later on down the line if we keep changing the class. Um, and so other things that we can take to our administrative teams about how to better support our students as we create opportunities for, for them to earn more credit. Um, let me make sure that I'm answering all of your questions before I go any further. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so in the, the, the short stint of that is that we want to find ways to become more, to have more opportunities to engage with our students so that we don't hear stories like what we just heard tonight from Reverend Burns about a, a student leaving from Indian River saying that you're not college material. And so that is, that is important to me because I spent the last 20 some odd years as a school counselor. And so how do we become more engaging? And we have to be purposeful and intentional in our um, abilities to be able to reach those students that might not be easy to reach or that might not look like me. Um, going along with what we were talking about with Teacher Academy, you know, we have to be purposeful and intentional. So I look at the list of students that are on, you know, that are taking the second level of Teacher Academy, and that might mean I have to have these, I would give them these little, uh, appointment slips to come into the office and say, you're in the second level, but do you know that the world of education needs you? And so I would, that would be my way of hooking them in to know you're not going to drop that class because I want you to come back to Indian River and teach. And but going one step further to say to their parent, by the way, do you know that Indian River likes to grow their own educators? And that if your student sticks with this program and majors in education in college, they have the ability to come back and work in Indian River School District. So it's going to take those kinds of commitments to be able to engage our students, engage our families, to know what's really out there. Um, and so I think our, our, our school counselors are doing a better job of being able to do that. And we get together to challenge one another to be able to think outside of the box and go one step further. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Of, of Teacher Academy. So, for instance, I'm glad you asked that question. And I, and I really do want to emphasize that children in a school don't speak any, any English. English. So one of the things that we have to remember is that in order to be able to gain the, the ability of being able to speak more English or acquire the skill of speaking English is exposure. However, I'm so glad you asked that question about how are we doing that. So one of the things that at Sussex Central in particular, we created um, a few years ago a program we called our newcomer program, where when our students came into our and came to the building, we had a complete presentation about this is how you acquire credits. I am not bilingual. My Espanol is un poquito. And my kids knew, they, the kids knew that. So I would grab one of my colleagues who spoke fluent Spanish, and they would come in and deliver the presentation with me. And we would go from things like giving them pictures of the how they put their lunch number in to how, the, how you are able to get credits. Then we would take classroom guidance opportunities. So like during their, their classroom where they are learning more English, that would be the time that I would push in to do a classroom guidance lesson. So I would have the support of the ELL teacher or the MLL teacher now um, to help me deliver the lesson so that no one is lost. And through those presentations of being able, oh, I have a student that's in the teacher academy that tells me that's what I really want to do, Mrs. Reed. So then. Our next step that we started doing before I left Sussex Central to take this new role was to find educators within the building who could mentor those students. So Mr. Uh, Mr. Huerta over at Sussex Central has a had a student in the class of 2022 
who was a third year teacher academy student that he mentored to begin to start talk, having those conversations and dialogues about why he should continue with education as his pathway for his major in college. But I want to say something about uh, Molly. When Molly was up here, uh, she was talking about being a vocal parent. And Mrs. and Mrs. Wright, I think, asked why, where there are not more vocal parents. You know, some parents send their kids to school and with the idea that the district and the teachers and everybody involved is going to do the right thing for their children. And maybe that, I'm just, you know, because I, I know, I went to school a long time ago. It was a long, long, long time ago. But that was the philosophy of my community. The, the school is there to help, you know, and the district is there to help. The teachers are there to help and they're not in any way going to harm. So maybe that's just another reason why some parents, many parents are not vocal. Thank you. But I think, in given that com comment that you made, I do think that it's important whether, and I will, I'll be honest, I have a son that graduated from Sussex Central, I graduated from Sussex Central, and those in that audience that, and I that know me know I'm, I'm vocal as well. And he did very well in school, but I think even the children that are doing well still need to have that support from the back to make sure that they're being accounted for. I say that because I believe that there are children, and I think someone alluded to that earlier, that we have children in the Indian River School District that are capable of doing a lot better than what they are. However, and we know we talked about that earlier, you know, there's a lack of educators in there, there's a lack of school buses taken here, but I don't think we need to sell ourselves short, I, and I know that we have to think outside of the box, but I don't think we need to let those kids just be mediocre and say, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm in 10th grade, I don't have to study, I, I'm just gonna take regular classes. They still need this little oomph you know, that says, that's fine and dandy if you think that, but when you get outside in, in, in the community and the public, are you going to be satisfied with a job working? And don't get me wrong, I am not begrudging anybody's occupation, but do you want to work at Main Air? Do you want to work at Food Line? Do you want to work here? Or would you rather go along with your other classmates, get an education, and then prosper from that? Some of them can do it. Some of them that are, they're just not putting it forward. And I think we, the district, and don't get me wrong, we're, we're human like everybody else and we make mistakes. And, but I think we have, to, we have to be that voice that says in that classroom, you know, that's fine that you take regular math, but you can be taking algebra and trig and all that. You just have to put your mind to it. But we can't let them fall behind. I agree. I agree with y'all. I, 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 when I was teaching, I used to think of that a lot. We had focus on special ed kids and, uh, well, special ed talented and gifted kids, but you got this whole group in the middle who are just sitting there 
hiding, basically. But you know, a lot of those kids do go out and they do do well. They do. Thank you very much for your time. One of our members, Mr. Ramos, um, is, is not here this evening. Um, we had a number of things that we would be looking at, some written follow-up from the board, and I know that one of the things at the top of the list is the whole statement on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and that giving the assurance to your staff, your faculty, that you are behind them in things related to closing the gap. And as we follow up, I know we said we would give you a recommendation on the training uh, and all of that, and we certainly can do that. Um, we will definitely follow up on that. I think you want to, and I thought it was, uh, Mrs. Wright, your comments like about pushing students, and I just have a feeling that if I'm a student, was a student on Nika's caseload, she would have pushed me and sort of pulled me back in line so that I couldn't kind of float away. Um, that's a leadership. Uh, we were thrilled when you moved her up into the position of administration. Uh, she's clearly a leader, and good leaders make decisions on the spot. They do the right thing. They, they just kind of figure that out. And I think that's what the group would like to see, that you have all the people in those roles, whether it's counseling or, or teaching, that are going to go that extra mile to help that student move forward because that's the only way you do close the gap and I hate that we're kind of using that term because it's very you know you kind of hear it over and over and what are we talking about but we're talking about improved outcomes for your students and this group is wonderful um, I am always admire school board members because you sit in your chairs for lots of meetings and listen to a lot of people um, our group is very uh, well-meaning and spends a lot of time looking, looking over all of this. So we'll look for you um, to follow up. I can, I'll follow up with Dr. Owens and Mrs. Blannard, but the information that Marjorie requested on the advanced placement and honors and, you know, how's that done, making sure that that's very um, transparent. Uh, the implementation on the curriculum uh, piece, I think that would be helpful. I've, I'm not a Delawarean. Um, I'm actually a Pennsylvanian, so I'm not up on the state statutes and all of that, but this has come up so often. Sounds like it's a piece of confusion. So we'd like to take uh, Mr. Fritz up or anyone else who would like to participate um, in our meetings. And if there is anything, um, you know, a group of people who shows up and complains does get know some attention so if we can help with the school busing or whatever they're you know if they're sitting on the stuff um, with the uh, in the state legislature in terms of that act we would be uh, glad to do that um, I think the activity bus stuff is very important and we know you're having you know you recognize that you have difficulty with transportation but we'd really like to keep pushing that and whatever can be done um, to resolve that to um, because that's going to help kids get interventions and um, be able to spend more time in activities and kind of be in, uh, in groups that are going to encourage them to um, stay in school and to graduate and you know, kind of become very contributing members of the, um, the community. Um, so we do have a number of things we'll follow up on. Uh, we would like to, 
see if we can have a continued dialogue. There was a survey that was done in May uh, that um, we worked on with the administration, took months uh, to put those questions together. There was a very um, strong response from students, grades four through 12, and uh, just with such amazing input on what they feel is important. And I keep hearing about that Delaware Act about teaching history, um, and those student responses were very strong, that they want that kind of information. Um, so there was a lot of good responses there. Also your faculty and staff, it was a great uh, level of participation there um, as well. There was some participation with parents and community members, but um, we've asked that uh, the district support having a report be done um, on that, and they've, they've supported that. So it might be good if we could have a dialogue with you when that report is ready so that you can see what those results are that are coming from your own students and your own faculty and staff. Um, we found it to be very, very informative. So if that might be a good, a good point uh, to kind of loop around again. And again, we will um, we'll coordinate uh, and follow up with the things that we would be looking for uh, from Dr. Owens and Mrs. Blandard and uh, the same if you have any, anything for us. So, yes. Just know that we didn't receive it. It's not that 10 of us, well, I know I shouldn't say 10, because some are parents of school-age children now. Some of us are a little bit older than that. But for those, Who? we did not receive it. We were not asked to fill out that, that survey. So it's not like we shunned our responsibility. We didn't know we needed to do it. Sure. And it may be you would have filled out as the community, I guess, but there seemed to be... Uh, the district was very supportive of getting the, um, the teachers and uh, staff to fill it out, and they did, you know, they could do that in school, or they all knew about it as well as the the students. They did it in school, but I don't, uh, I'm not real clear on how that went out to the community. And once it goes out to the community, it's, uh, you know, you're not really sure there. So, um, okay, thank you for bringing that up. So, any other questions for us, or your? Dr. Wren, if I, if I could just share, um, we're really proud of our strategic plan that we've been working on for some time. We've, we've gone to the community, we've gone to our staff, we're wrapping up that work now and then the board has, has had an opportunity to give input on this as well. Uh, one thing that we had said that we wanted to ensure as we develop this plan, which is a five-year strategic plan, <coughs> is uh, embedded throughout this is the work of our equity steering committee. So I think if you see in each one of the pillars of that plan uh, aspects of the work of our steering committee. So that will be voted on eventually by the board, hopefully very soon. But on the, the side here is the, the statement from uh, the equity committee that we wanted to include front and center on our plan. And if I could just read that, just so I want the group to know that 
it is here on the plan that it will initially be uh, shared out. Uh, they commit to serving as champions of culture and equity by ensuring all students, families, and staff will have adequate tools, training, learning, and experiences needed to be successful in Sussex County as well as amongst our global and diverse society. We are committed to creating a culturally responsive environment that eliminates barriers which impede student and staff success through the development of a diverse workforce, highly effective leadership, continual professional learning, cutting-edge technology, and extensive, extensive related and wraparound services. In partnership with our families, community stakeholders, uh, we will diligently and collaboratively promote engagement and inclusivity by practicing effective communication and outreach <coughs> services. So I just wanted to share that that is a, a part of that. But we're going to explore what we've talked about here tonight, too. But I just think that's important to add based on our conversation tonight. Oh, it is. And that was part of the recommendations that all of you acknowledge their work. Because they're out there kind of on the cutting edge, examining these things, coming forward with recommendations to do back in their schools that have to do with eliminating bias. You know, how do we talk about students? How do we encourage students? And if they know you are solidly behind them, um, especially with some kind of a statement that comes out, that will do wonders to move that work forward. Because I, you know, um, the sense is, well, does the board really know about this? Do you talk about it? Um, I, these issues aren't easy to talk about. I think we all, you know, we all know that. And there's, it's, it's very challenging if you don't feel comfortable. I think Gloria kind of, you know, said it well. How do you feel comfortable talking about these things? And um, I think right now, if you have that kind of more op open discussion here, talk about their work, make sure they know you're acknowledging it and supporting it, uh, it can really, really move forward. So that's, and that's kind of was the whole gist of this tonight, to make sure that we have a connection on these issues and the board is aware of them. So thank you, appreciate that, and appreciate you putting it right there with the strategic plan, so. We appreciate all of your time, and um, good night. Thank you. Thank you. I, th I think it goes without saying we're all on the same page. We just may, may, be, may be coming at it from different angles, but we're all on the same page about helping all children. There's no doubt. That's why all of us, that's why I'm on the board. So I can imagine, and I think everybody else on the board would be the, feel the same. Thanks. Thank you very much. That is an underlying benefit. Okay. <laughs> We're going to move on to uh, 3.03, Freedom of Information Act. Bring back. Gentlemen of the board and, and um, our, our sorry. Bring back. Why don't we hold off just a second? Yes, sir. As they're departing, so we can hear. And then uh, I know a couple yes. needed to take a just a respite if we could midway through this.
felt like I needed to add that Mount Air is a fine business and provides wonderful opportunities for growth for their employees. <laughs> Thank you for the clarity, Scott. <laughs> Mrs. Wright comes back in, we'll go ahead and move on to 3.03. Let me nudge your along. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Good. Yep. Freedom of Information Act. Yes, sir. I will uh, cover as much as I can in the time I'm afforded. I understand I've got a, a stop at 9, I believe, but I will go all night talking about school law as you, as you well know. I'll, I'll, I'll defer to the board if they want to go a little longer, but we did have a couple topics we wanted you to discuss. I'd be happy to. Hit us at a high level. Hit the highlights. Okay. If I may take a further liberty and, and just begin by saying, you know, I acknowledge the challenges that, that you and your staff and, and your community of educators face. Um, in this post-pandemic world, it's complicated by the labor market. It's complicated by myriad factors. And I recognize you and your staff's efforts to, to navigate that. And uh, I and my team are, are proud to, to be trusted partners with you in, in helping you get through that. So uh, we, we very much value um, your loyalty. Um, starting with FOIA, the, the big new issue is House Bill, uh, or, or the House Bill um, 293, that modified the uh, public comment section. Previously, there were Freedom of Information Act cases decided by the Attorney General that said that there is no obligation in law 
to have public comment unless your policy requires public comment, right? Um, most boards have public comment anyway. Um, the statute says anything that's open to the public, we need to provide public comment. Still has the same general provisions with regard to unruly individuals commenting and attending. Uh, the board can always limit the comment of attorneys because it specifically states that you can limit public comment that is irrelevant, immaterial, insubstantial, uh, cumulative, or, or otherwise. Um, but what's important, I think, for your purposes to consider when you're crafting policy, this would be a policy decision that, that you would make, it would be adopted as a matter of policy, is what do you want to afford in terms of the length of public comment, right? There are districts that I represent that have five or ten minutes per person, which is great if I were to stand up here and talk about how wonderful the football team is, how wonderful the wrestling team is going to be, and how terrific the basketball team looks this year. Okay, because you want me to use the full 10 minutes speaking about that. But remember, you must be content neutral. So when the next person gets up and wants to bash you for 10 minutes, you have to take it. So finding that happy medium as to how long you want that to be, two, three, four minutes, is something that most boards would agree is reasonable. Again, I don't decide what's reasonable. I just give you your options. But most boards are, are typically picking somewhere in the range of, of two to four minutes as they're considering their options under the, under the revision or looking back at their existing policies, right? Because you, you already have a public comment period. Very frequently, it's always when there's a hot button issue, they call me up and they say, hey, can we just cut public comment? And, you know, District X might call me up and say, can we not have public comment anymore? Well, it's in your policy. And policies, obviously, we have to follow or face the consequences. Other emerging FOIA issues, um, we've got a recent FOIA opinion about changing the time, changing the locations of meetings, okay? Are you allowed to change the time? Sure, of course. You gotta give seven days notice. You allowed to change the location? Sure, seven days notice. When you do, you have to post it on the front doors of the principal place of business. As we all know, you also now have to update your website. There was a finding recently against a sister district for not updating, it was a one hour change where nothing public occurred. It was interviews, it was staff interviews that would have been closed to the public anyway. All people missed was, can we get a motion to go into executive session? And then they would have been excluded thereafter. It was still a FOIA violation because it wasn't posted on the website. We're hearing a lot of issues with regard to um, observers in executive session. If, if the board should at a certain point in the future consider having student appointees to the board, they cannot be in executive session as a matter of, of law. Um, if we're talking about, um, for example, a, a FOIA appropriate buildings and grounds topic. We want to purchase parcel number XYZ for a future building project. The buildings and ground person would be in there. And then the next topic is student discipline. The buildings and ground person would leave. And then the people that are talking about student discipline would enter. It's that shuttle approach, unfortunately, without having everybody sitting in the entirety of the time. What that does not mean is that people 
need to be excluded all of the time because there are a lot of topics that have, for example, financial implications. So your CFO is probably going to be there for a lot of your executive topics, possibly. Um, and and uh, Karen and, and Jay are, are, sorry, forget we're being recorded. Your assistant superintendent and superintendent are likely going to be um, present for almost everything, uh, but not everything um, along the way. Just a reminder about maintaining very, very basic, extremely basic executive session minutes. They must be maintained. They do not need to be posted. They must be maintained. And then if and when they are subject to either discovery in litigation or a FOIA request, what is produced is largely redacted. And what is produced and what is redacted depends upon whether or not what is requested is still protected, right? For example, we're thinking about buying parcel XYZ. We've closed on it two years ago. That information would now be disclosed. We're also talking about terminating employee number 2023-1234. That information is going to be protected for FOIA purposes forever, but not for litigation purposes germane to that employee. Um, a lot of concerns recently with regard to you, board members, going to events, going to DSBA events together, having a quorum of you, going to seminars, training. There was something recently in Nashville. Can you all go? Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. By all means, absolutely. You are not taking action upon or discussing public business. That is germane to your districts. Okay, you're going there to socialize and learn and learn about things that are going on on a national level or on a state level that is not discussing or taking action on public business. You are within your rights to go. Similarly, we'll frequently hear complaints that, oh, there was a quorum of the board sitting together at the basketball game or I walked into the diner and I saw six members of the board sitting together. Are you allowed to socialize? I would say it should be encouraged. Can you talk about the weather, sports, kids, your kids? Absolutely. Now, can you talk about public business? And I always like to use, you know, not hot button topics. Like, you know, let's say we wanted to invoke a uniform policy. Could you sit around the diner and talk about should we have a uniform policy with six of you present? No, obviously not. But can you talk about how the football team looks good this year? Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of issues with regard to amending and modifying agendas. This is the balance for board members, okay? How to modify, how to post. Your administrative team understands that. They've got a really good grip on it, okay? But what, what is the delicate balance for you, in my view, as board members, is A, the knowledge that FOIA does not in any way limit your ability to take things off the agenda in case they, you know, in case it doesn't come up, in case we don't need it, right? We might want to talk about the dress code policy. We might not. Might be an issue that the board wants to talk about. Maybe they don't. Can we put it on there seven days in advance? Absolutely. Does FOIA prohibit your ability to take anything off of the agenda at any time? No, you can always pull something off. But why is that tough for you? 
because if you tell your voters and your constituents and your moms and dads in the community that you might be talking about something and they show up for the meeting and you don't talk about it, now you have people upset with you, but it's nothing illegal. So that's the balance, I think, that you face as board members when there's something that might come up. As a, from a legal perspective, I always say if it might come up, put it on the agenda, right? Because there's no then legal harm in taking it off. But of course, you need to be careful about making sure that you don't upset people by having them come out for something that never is discussed. Always be careful of your executive topics. And I've talked to you about FOIA in the past a couple times over the years. Just, you know, I, I have to mention this every time. We have to have strict adherence to what we can and cannot talk about in executive session, as you all well know, but it's kind of part of my spiel. I must address that every time that FOIA is, is brought up. Um, and your FOIA uh, agenda, sorry, your executive session, session agenda should not list the same things every month. We're going to talk about personnel, student discipline, collective bargaining, potential land acquisition. Next month, same four items. Next month, same four items. There's the Capital School District case and the Dewey Beach case that both say that doing that practice is unlawful because it doesn't give the populace notice as to what it is that you're going to talk about. Because the assumption then is that you're going in there and just talking about whatever you're going to talk about. You're not giving the, the public any notice. Uh, we did have a recent issue with regard to what you can and cannot talk about personnel-wise. We have this conception that we can talk about personnel. And we, you and I have talked about this in the past. Um, for example, um, is XYZ person the appropriate candidate for the principal at building one? You can talk about that in exact. Does building one need a second assistant principal? No, we can't talk about that legally in exec because we're not talking about the names, competencies, and abilities of that person. Similarly, we had a finding recently that we were able to repair once the complaint was filed, but before the Department of Justice ruled upon it, because as soon as we found out that it was happening, we were able to remedy it. Um, a, a board was going to talk about in executive session whether or not they should increase the subrate pay for how much they're paying their substitute teachers to come in on a daily basis. And obviously that's a compensation issue across the board, which is not something that they can talk about. So it's just something to be mindful of. It's always good to learn other people's lessons than to learn them yourself. So that's what's happening in FOIA since the last time we spoke. I believe I was also supposed to discuss board responsibilities very, very briefly because we covered this last time and the Public Integrity Commission latest, unless there are questions on FOIA. And of course we have to be, we don't have the privilege because we're being recorded, so obviously we don't want to talk about too many specifics. But are there questions on FOIA? My only question, one thing I've yes, often been confused on. Sure. Once an agenda is set. Yes. The night of a meeting. Yes. Can we add? something to the agenda during the meeting or no? 
Yes. Okay. So seven days out or more for your typical meeting, not your special meeting, not your emergency meeting. Okay. You have to post the agenda with the notice. The agenda has to add, has to say everything that you're going to talk about. If it doesn't include, if the notice doesn't include the agenda, you have to ex explain why not. Okay? It wasn't ready yet. We were still developing our topics. Somebody was unavailable to post it. Whatever your situation is, you're not going to get in any trouble for not posting the agenda immediately seven days out, but you got to do it as soon as possible. So in the seven days out until six hours, sorry, I have my back to the side of the room, until six hours before the meeting, you can at will add things to the agenda and just say asterisk for the first one, double asterisk for the second one, triple asterisk for the third one. This item was added on November 16th at 2 p.m. It was added late because it just arose. This item was added on November 17th at 3 p.m. It was added late because it just arose. Now, six hours, let's assume the point of discussion, all of your board meetings started at six o'clock, okay? Between noon on Wednesday and 6 p.m. on Wednesday, your agenda cannot change. Once the meeting starts, under the law as written, which is different from the law as interpreted by the Department of Justice from which we have no appeal, I would say on the record, knowing that we're being recorded. The law says you can amend the agenda for things that arise during the meeting. There is a body of case law that says you can amend things that arise during the meeting that cannot be deferred. Applying those two principles, when something arises during the meeting and a collection of elected public officials who are by case law, not from the, the Department of Justice, mind you, but from our courts, say that you all are presumed to act in good faith. I think I've told you all that before. You're presumed to act in good faith in the law. When you make a determination that something arose suddenly and arose at the meeting and cannot be deferred, that's supposed to be given deference. For example, um, somebody from the public says, you know what, you really need a dress code policy. And you, you were to say, yeah, you know what, we need to talk about that tonight because that can't be, that can't wait. Despite the deference that you're given, that might be really scrutinized heavily, right? But let's say something comes up and it cannot be deferred because well, I don't want to talk about our, our, our real life issue, which I think is is what you might be referring to, Mr. Fritz. But no, no, no. I'm just. But in general, in general it, you know, you are afforded by law a lot of deference. But sometimes when things um, don't have a right of appeal to the court system, the result that we received was different. But yes, you do have a right to whenever you make that determination that something came up and arose at the meeting and cannot be deferred as a matter of law you can address it 
that. those are the two standards that we have, we should try to apply. You should apply them, and I always recommend when the motion is made, uh, Captain Layfield, I'd like to make a motion to amend the agenda to add uh, discussion on XYZ topic. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, we just heard discussion on this. I heard about it on the radio on the way over, or um, it arose from public comment, or it arose during statements from the board. And uh, I don't think this can wait because, you know, we don't have another board meeting until next month or because whatever. If you go through that process of when you make the motion of saying it arose at the meeting and it cannot be deferred as part of the motion that would be requested of the board president, It should be, according to the case law, given tremendous deference. It tracks the statutes. And the AG's office rules on that, correct? Yes. And when AG's rules upon it, there's no appeal, correct? There is, there is no appeal to anywhere. Gotcha. We, we have an example of that during the COVID issue that we did. Seemed and I and that, seemed, seemed appropriate. I just, I know we're yeah. talking around it, it's audio tape, but I think it's pretty clear that I know which one. there was a FOIA action yeah we fought we it on did, your behalf we yeah fought it and it just hey when the ag's office rules they, they rule they make the decision um and and it's the chancery court that can unwind certain things and that can nullify action that a board takes but i don't like having your wrist slapped by the department of justice or anybody else which is why we fought so hard to oppose that FOIA complaint Because what you did, in my view, tracked not only the law as written, but the law as interpreted through all the cases. One thing would have cleaned it up a little bit more is if the president would have I specifically addressed that vote and paraphrased, such as you said, like that may have cleared it up. Maybe in an ideal world. Given influences and, and the topic and everything else, I'm not sure it would have made a difference, Pastor Layfield, right? Because of, of what was what was at issue. It was so it was so polit uh, politicized at that point. Um, board roles and responsibilities, we've covered something you know, this is all statutory. All right. Two things I want to touch on for you all. And this is something I always have to remind boards of because I hate to say no, you can't. And I'm never gonna say no, you can't, right? But what I'm gonna say is sometimes I will say to you, you really don't want to know, right? There are very few situations, and this is a relationship that you have with your administration that is one to treasure among the 17 districts I represent, okay? I think there's an awful lot of trust, I really do that's not ubiquitous throughout the state of Delaware. And frequently, boards want to know what's going on in certain circumstances. And I'm sure in many appropriate circumstances, the administration is going to tell you what you want to know. But there are very few, and I can name them on one hand, situation where I will strongly recommend to you to fight the temptation to learn information because it could hurt you, okay? You've got a potential candidate 
for an employment position, please let Celeste and her team do the Reg 745 background check. Let them do the diligence in terms of checking references. Please don't do your own Google searches, okay? Because if you find out things about people and then that person is not hired, it could hurt, hurt the board, right? You could get sued for discrimination because you found out through a social media search that somebody has a disease or a family member with a disease or what have you. So fight that temptation. I know in the age of Google, we all want to, right? In your student discipline cases, fight the temptation to, you know, that might result in an expulsion. If it might result in alternative placement or a suspension, it's never coming to you as board members, right? Reg 616 says it ends with the administration. But if it might result in an expulsion to you, I would recommend that you fight the temptation to find out, hey, what did little Billy do? Give me the details. Was there a witness? Tell me what he did. Why is he not here? I heard he's getting expelled. So I would encourage you to fight that in order to maintain your impartiality. Um, any sort of and a community member comes to you and says, and we've lived through this, friends, and it's, it's a mature board where most of you have been on through these circumstances, unfortunately. Uh, I heard a rumor that uh, there's an inappropriate situation involving abuse, neglect, misconduct, molestation, involving a staff member and a student. Um, tell me what's going on to one of the people in administration. Remember, if you have a good faith, you have a good faith obligation, if you have awareness that there might be, it's just a rumor, it's just a rumor. But if you have knowledge, you're, remember you're mandatory reporters also. Even though you're volunteers, you've taken on that liability of being mandatory reporters. But whenever you have somebody in the community come to you with a complaint about an individual, I would recur, or, you know, individual staff member, individual student, I would say, just so that you're not hearing my opinion and nine others plus that of the administration, please forward that concern to the administration because otherwise, you know, that protects you, right? That protects the board from giving 10 different opinions as to how something is going to be addressed. Lastly, with regard to staff discipline, whenever there might be a termination, who ultimately decides if a employee is being terminated? My friends do, right? So if you learn a lot of information about what did that paraprofessional do, what did that teacher do, what did that administrator do, you have impugned your impartiality to be the ultimate arbiters. So if you're asked, or if, if you want to know, hey, can I get this information legally? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're the client, right? You are the ultimate client. Can you get this information? Of course you can. Do I think it's a good idea? No, because it could affect your ability to decide termination cases. And in a little bit of a nuance, just so you're aware of this, that, that applies to all of your teacher terminations, all of your administrator terminations, all of your unionized employees who exercise an option to pursue a grievance Sorry, sorry, to pursue a hearing instead of a grievance, and they never do, but they could. 
And then under your grievance policies, your unionized employees could request, if I remember correctly, they can request a hearing before the board. So sometimes with employee discipline, you really don't want to know too much. You can, I'll never say no to you, but you really don't want to know, okay? Um, last bit of uh, board governance issues. There's all those powers that are enumerated that you have and that you have the obligation and the right to do. You have to prove the tax warrant by the second Thursday in July and you gotta issue your non-renewals by May 15th of your non-tenured teachers and your administrator non-renewals by December 30th and you gotta set your calendar, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You also set the curriculum as a matter of law subject to other state laws, okay? Very important in the teacher-specific, classroom-specific context. You set the curriculum, not individual teachers. We have, you have a curriculum. Your curriculum is then imposed or you know, carried out by the administration. Frequently in all of our districts, we will have teachers that want to teach something, anything. Remember, I'm down the middle independent. One side or the other, and the building administration or the district administration or you, the board, disagree, okay? So I'm not talking about we don't want to teach English, right, because that's set by statute, or we don't want to teach uh, anything else that's, that's uh, required by statute but I want to teach something as a teacher that's of a particular political bent you disagree with. There's a tremendous amount of case law out there called the, the captive audience theory. A teacher cannot hold a classroom as their captive audience if you, the school board, disagree with the curriculum. They cannot dictate, there's no freedom of academic expression in the K-12 world. You'll hear about it. Maybe you are hearing about it. That applies in some degree at the college level. It does not apply here. You, you my friends, can decide what you want to teach and what you don't want to teach as long as it's not otherwise subject to state law. You'll hear First Amendment, you'll hear freedom of expression, you'll hear academic, you know, free to teach whatever I want, but if you disagree, that is your purview. And there's all kinds of other things that are set forth in code as to what your obligations are. You've heard them from me in the past. That's been coming up a lot more recently on both sides of the spectrum across the state. So I just wanted to remind you of that. Um, I know I'm way over time. Do you have time briefly to hear about public integrity or have you heard enough? Go ahead. Mr. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right, so we've talked public integrity before. Just a, a reminder about uh, uh, you know, the, the two big issues that school board members face are 5805, that's the conflicts of interest provision, and 5806, that's something that says that public officials like you shall not pursue a course of conduct that shall raise the suspicion 
among the public that the official is violating the public trust. Doesn't give you an awful lot of information. I've told you in the past, there's two places I don't want to be standing shoulder to shoulder with you, okay? The Human Relations Commission and the Public Integrity Commission, okay? Talk about schizophrenic, talk about being weaponized. Frequently, the decisions of PIC are, well, they're always, almost always, almost always, I don't want to say always, almost always weaponized because somebody doesn't like somebody else. And they are very frequently internally inconsistent with precedent. A lot of it is driven by agenda. So you've got to be very cautious. And I'm not talking about contracting with the district. Okay, That's a whole other set of rules if you have businesses and such. That's a topic for another day that I don't, I don't want to bore you with uh, in the little bit of time we have. But the conflicts of interest section in 5805 says that you shall not take action on anything or participate in anything where you have a personal or a private interest. They read the statute differently than what the statute says. Sometimes the statute says we can take action as long as it affects the entirety of the class evenly, okay? Public Integrity Commission, in two opinions, says we can't do that, even though the statute says that. Now, I will never name a particular school board, as you know, but there is a school board. Somebody come up with a number. Mr. Fritz, would you name a number between one and 10 for me? Nine. Nine. Let's say there is a perfect number, because there is no school board with nine members. <laughs> I like your style, as I think you know. Let's say there is a hypothetical school board with nine members on. Every single person on that board is either married to or the parent of an employee in that school district. According to the Public Integrity Commission, that school board can never ratify a collective bargaining agreement. That school board can never do teacher raises, salary raises, anything across the board. Now, I can see one-off situations, okay? Mr. Fritz, you're, you're right next to me. I hate to have you be my perpetual victim tonight, but you know, let's say the board wants to hire, now you have a son, I don't know if you do or not, but you do now, okay? Wants to hire your son as the only person that we're voting on to be a assistant principal, okay? And you participate in the vote. Obviously, personal interest, right? But the statute specifically says that if we're voting on a class of people and you're not voting on anybody differently and pulling people out of that class, you're allowed to do that. Because otherwise, for example, in that nine school board member district, they could never conduct any business at all, ever. Public Integrity Commission says, ah, doesn't matter, okay? So just be wary of that, be cautious of that. I think those two decisions are outliers. They are inconsistent with the statute. They are inconsistent with other precedent. I've never seen anybody prosecuted under the public integrity statute. They can refer things to the Department of Justice for abuse of office and official misconduct and profiteering prosecutions. 
I've never seen that done when a school board votes on a class or a slate or a package of people. But in a situation where there was just one person being voted on, I could see that obviously being a problem. In such a situation, be very mindful if we are voting on, going back to Mr. Fritz's example, um, it's not enough to abstain from the vote, okay? Remember, there's yays, there's nays, there's I abstain, and I recused myself. So what that would mean is when we were talking in executive session about whether Mr. Fritz's son should be at the appropriate uh, assistant principal at school number, uh, school letter A, he should completely recuse himself, not talk about any of the candidates, not talk about his son, maybe even leave the room. So go on record as having recused himself, not just abstaining. And there is no dollar amount threshold with regard to a violation of 5805. It could be 100 bucks, it could be $100,000, there's no distinction. The other issue, and I'm, I'm trying to be quick in respect for your time, is 5806, shall not uh, pursue a course of conduct that undermines public trust. That is awful nebulous, friends. I will also tell you that that same standard is, a, that's in Title 29, uh, chapter 58, that's the state code. Your municipalities under Title 22 have an obligation to adopt their own code that is at least as stringent as 58, and they've all adopted almost exactly the same nebulous standard. Can't give you much guidance there, except I can tell you that in those situations, there is consideration of what was the actual benefit that was conferred, how much influence actually transpired, and they look at the totality of the circumstances in those situations. But I'll tell you in almost, what I don't want you to walk out of here doing is going, oh my God, there's two things I gotta navigate now, okay? There are two. One is personal or private interest. That's like no conflicts of interest. The other one is you can't do anything that makes it look like you're undermining public trust. If you're not doing one, chances are you're not doing two. There's very, very, very few pick cases involving the, you, you shouldn't do anything that undermines public trust. And those are usually the pretty obvious ones, the ones that you read about in the paper, like the city of Wilmington, um, city council diverting funds to a nonprofit that contracts with a business that he ran. Now, it didn't go directly to him. There was no personal or private interest, right? And it occurred after he was no longer on the board, I'm sorry, no longer on council. That is the sort of situation where, hey, you know, I'm coming off the Indian River board, Mr. Fritz, uh, and you know, I've got this side gig, this 1099 independent contractor company, and you know, we really want to do that work at New Sussex Central. That's the kind of conduct that's going to raise that second prong, okay? Very, very rare situation, but I did want you to be aware of. 
I told Jay or Dr. Owens I would be really fast in respect for your time. So I went through a lot of material very quickly. I can keep going all night, but I know it's late for you. Quick question. Yes. <clears throat> when it comes to negotiating contracts, are there any districts in the state of Delaware that use a labor attorney or an impartial person to do the negotiating rather than school board members? Um, in my view, having a school board member, having any school board members is on the on my negotiation team is a very bad idea. Bad idea. Um, I, I do a lot of nego. I don't do all of them. So what, what I normally do is when we've got newer administration or they've got a new HR director, I do a couple, right? I do a couple with them so they're familiar with the process. Maybe I'll do their teachers and their parents. Maybe I'll do just their teachers until they're comfortable. And then, because it's four hours, it's four days, three days, and you know, I'm on the phone with superintendents and assistant superintendents and CFOs all day long. And if I'm out of the office for four days in a row, people want to kill me, right? So I try not to do too many of them, but I do, I do a good bit of them. I've got a few coming up in the spring. Um, having, in my view, having a superintendent or any school board members on the negotiation team kills my negotiation strategy because what we, what we, among other strategies that we try to use are things that I don't want to really mention while we're being recorded. But there's an inability to say I'm never going to be able to sell this to my school board if we've got four school board members sitting across the table from the union. Now, what I also am very cognizant of is when I'm negotiating contracts, I'm looking to get the best deal I can for the district. When I'm negotiating contracts in 2023 that are gonna be from 2023 to 2026 or longer, a little bit of a different interest, right? You guys are looking to recruit and retain talent when there's only a finite number of teachers and paraeducators in the state. So sometimes me trying to get you the best deal is not always the best interest of the district. But um, I'm not aware of anybody that uses third parties because they don't understand school law and what's an unfair labor practice and what's already covered by statute and what's typical and you know what do we not have to bargain and how does um, you know binding interest arbitration work and how does the game work there's only a few of us in the state that, that do this and understand it um, but you know you've got a pretty senior senior team that's been through it I mean if if they want me to do one with them or give them some pointers in advance, I'd be happy to do it. I'm not trying to sell services. You know we're busy enough. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Any more questions? Thank you kindly, sir. Thank you all. Appreciate your time. I also want to thank uh, Mr. Marinucci for being here this evening, um, graciously enough to uh, give us your time, so thank you for that, too. We didn't have any uh, questions for you this evening, but we appreciate you being here, and, and Kitty, thank you. <laughs> Kitty, thank you for being here as well. Uh, we do have public comment. Yep. <clears throat> 4.01, public comment. Talk this out. 
Anything come forward to meeting before we adjourn? Hearing none. Motion to adjourn. So moved. Motion made. Second. Is there a second? Second. second. Motion made. Second. Adjourn.